Hello, and welcome back to the monthly Yearbooking Report podcast. I'm Scott Giese. I'm a 20-year Jostens Yearbooks representative, lifelong journalist, former broadcaster, and fortunate enough to be a CJE certified journalism educator for my friends at the Journalism Education Association. Hope your fall has been going well so far. Yeah, a bit too much rain and some other things in some parts of the country and such, but hopefully you're doing okay. In this episode, we're going to talk about the number one element of the yearbook, and it's always going to be that way, no matter what new technology we come up with. And let's face it, we've had some great advances in the last 10 to 20 to 30 years, amazing technology. But even with all that, when most folks go out to take their pictures for the yearbook, even today, they come back with rather dull, uninspired images, not really much of anything, say cheese, silly poses, and so on, especially students. How can we change that? Well, recently we spoke with a veteran photojournalist, photographer, and photo instructor, our friend Mike McLean. Now, Mike has been assisting Jostens with many national workshop trainings over the years. We're very fortunate to have him on our team. And we were able to catch up with him recently via an online interview to talk about how you can go out and take better pictures right away, right now. Pictures that will last a lifetime and really tell the stories. So we caught up with Mike recently and he gave us some terrific ideas and tips. All right, first off, Mike, really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh, give us some uh, tips and ideas today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's start with some background. Um, now, for folks who have been to one of our national Jostens events, like our advisor university, I think you've done that for like 100 years or something like that. It's been a very long time. Uh, give us some of your background. How long have you been doing this? How long have you been, been a photographer? Where have you been? And so on. Well, the I think the important thing is that I started off as a high school uh, photography student working for my yearbook. And uh, that's where I was always a good photographer. But um, once I walked into my journalism class, I understood the difference between being a photographer and being a photojournalist. And I was fortunate enough to have a journalism teacher that really cared about me and all of the students. And she taught us the importance of shooting photos that, not, that were not just uh, pretty images, but images that told stories. And uh, that's where I got my, that's when the passion first struck me to be a photojournalist. And I still use the same essential skills that she taught me uh, in my working career. And I'm, I still shoot assignments every day. And I still shoot for magazines and ad agencies and corporations and things like that. And I still use those basic principles that she taught me in my high school yearbook room. So I think that um, I think it's important for kids to understand that when they're first starting off is that they're having a lot of fun working in the yearbook class, but they're also learning a lot of essential skills that can carry them further than um, you know than maybe they had initially conceived. I never thought that until I entered the high school yearbook room, I never thought that photojournalism was a career option for me, and I'm glad that I found out it is. So that's kind of where it started for me. And I, I, I should also say that I worked as a photojournalist at a large daily newspaper here in Dallas, so I was a working photojournalist. I worked for five years uh, covering spot news and covering um, you know, uh, sports and all the stuff that a photojournalist would do. 
And um, I did that for about five years. And it was a really hard occupation. Um, and then I left and kind of started my own freelance business. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Now, we'll take a moment and mention you, you of course, have a website, mcleanphoto.com. And that's spelled M-C-L-E-A-N, mcleanphoto.com. Information about you there and some things that you've shot and so on. And you have a bio on there. And in your bio, it looks like you have really been a lot of places. Where has photojournalism taken you? Well, I will say that I did a little bit of work in the Soviet Union back in the 90s. But for the most part, I've tried to stay here. And, you know, I travel all over the country to do to shoot photos. So for the most part, I, I would say that most of my photojournalism experience has been domestically. Um, I, it's just hard to travel. I, I love shooting photos, but it's the, you know, it's the difficult for me is always the travel because I have to travel with the equipment and things like that. It's a, it's a real issue for me. So I try to stay as domestic as I can with my work, but my work carries me from, you know, two weeks ago I was working at the Navy Academy and the week before that I was working at West Point. So I, I get to cover a range of assignments with the work that I do, and I really love that part of photojournalism. Is every day is a little different. Well, there you go. You get around West Point, New York, Annapolis, Maryland. It's a bit of a Texas. It's a bit of a distance there. Okay. And how long have you been working with us at Jostens? I know you've been doing a lot of things over the years. Well, I actually wrote the very first photo curriculum, so that's been probably 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, since the first photo curriculum came out. But I've been working with Jostens, uh, you know, for probably maybe since, I don't know, I would say probably 20 years or so. But I've, I started off doing local uh, workshops and then kind of started transitioning to a lot of the national workshops that Jostens does, which would include, you know, Advisor University and um, a couple, every, probably about once every three to five years I will go to a national convention and kind of represent Jostens. But uh, my most favorite workshop I do with Jostens is Advisor University. So Advisor University is an opportunity to really work with educators and, and, and uh, I think that working with educators is an opportunity to change a culture much broader than working with an individual high school student. All right, free plug real quick. The next JAU, folks, for those advisors listening and so on, is next July several days mid-July, Orlando, Florida once again. And Mike, yeah, you do your own I guess your own separate section there just on photojournalism. Now, I've been to JAU, but I haven't taken that. If someone is watching or listening and they'd like to maybe check that out next July, what do you do in that session? Well, thanks for that question. It's a great question. We start off at a very, um, at a very basic level, and we take this, the students that we have in our class in a very short time we take them from basic, this is a camera and this is a lens, and we take them through the process of understanding, you know, the, the basic fundamentals of, you know, uh, exposure metering and things like that, and we take them all the way to working in manual exposure mode, and we give them lots of ideas and tips and tricks on how to educate their students to shooting photographs that are more uh, compatible with sort of a photojournalism mindset. And uh, it's interesting because when we first start working with these uh, advisors, they're really nervous because the technology part, uh, it, 
it's, it's a hard part to grasp in a short amount of time, but we get them over that hill really quickly, and then we get onto topics that are really sort of my passion, which is capturing images that tell stories and working on composition and all of the things that are important for these journalism educators to recognize and how to bring that out with the, the young photographers that they're working with. So that was one of the things that when I was a kid, my journalism teacher was not that technically savvy on capturing images from a, from a standpoint of using aperture and shutter speed and ISO. She wasn't really solid on that stuff, but she was really solid on teaching us the importance of shooting photos that told stories in our environment, capturing our high school experience in a real and authentic and a genuine way. So I think that's one of the things that makes JAU um, interesting and different is that we talk about the technical stuff, but we spend a good deal of time on motivating, you know, young photographers and also to teaching the, um, you know, the essentials of composition and things like that. All right. Now, once again, for advisors listening, JAU is next July this year again, or next, next time in Orlando. Uh, talk to your Jostens representative probably after the first of the year about getting more information and attending. It is a fantastic event. Yes, I'm shilling for the company, and I'll say it wide open. It's a great event, and Mike, Mike is terrific at this event if you want to take the photo track that they have at, at, at this event. Now, Mike, you mentioned uh, you just came from a shoot as we're recording this. You just had a shoot earlier today as we're recording this. Uh, here's a question, all right? Um, students out there are probably listening, and they're going to get assigned. They have to go to cover the football game, volleyball match, homecoming night. What are they doing in chemistry class, some weird thing, and so on. So they've got the assignment. When you get the assignment, how do you prepare? What do you do in advance before you ever show up at the event? What do you do? Well, the most important thing, and I think this is one thing that really lacks with our young photographers that are covering a high school event, is I want to know, i, I got to know what time the event starts. I have to know who the, the key players are that I want to be photographing. I want to know uh, the contacts, the people that we're featuring in a story. So what I try to tell my young photographers to do is get as much information about an assignment before you take that assignment on. And it may mean talking to an assignments editor. It might mean talking to a reporter. The more information I have going into an assignment, the better the photographs are going to be. And there's this whole, with, with younger people, there's this whole mentality. I, I still see it even with my college photographers that I work with, is that photographers tend to be lone wolf type creatures anyway. And I was that way too until I discovered that working with another reporter or a writer or another student that's there covering an event, covering an event with, with me, it helps broaden my perspective so that I have a better sense of what I'm shooting when I show up on an assignment. So I think that's the most important thing is get an idea about what you're covering. The next thing, and this is something that I learned from my old uh, picture editor at the newspaper that I was working at, he used to tell me that there are no bad assignments, just bad photographers. It's, that our, it's our job as photojournalists to go into an event, whether it's an academic event or whether it's a sports event or whatever it is, it may seem like it's boring, but there are all kinds of photo opportunities that are unfolding before your very eyes. It's our job to capture those photo opportunities. And that means that sometimes we have to make a photo visually interesting by finding an unusual angle. Sometimes it could mean that we're looking for an interesting expression. I was that 
So that's, those are things that I tell my students to look for. The other thing, whatever you're covering, I, was, I think it's important that we cover an event from what I call a spectrum coverage. That means that we're not just covering the action of an event, but we're also covering the reaction of an event. So sometimes the action of an event is vastly more important than the reaction shot. Sometimes a reaction shot tells the story, and the reaction shot's the photograph that we want to use that drives the, the, the narrative of the story. So, so good photo journalists are always looking for action and reaction, no matter what they're covering. We'll get back to more of our interview with photographer Mike McLean in just a moment. First off, of course, yearbooking is all about memories, remembering the things of the year, the people, the events, the activities, and so on in your school, around town, and such. But of course, there are other things happening around the country, around the world, around the sports world, and so on. How do we remember those things so that years and decades from now, we remember those very memorable items as well? Well, Jostens, of course, we have not one but two possibilities for you to add to your yearbook this year, if you're not familiar with these. One is our famous World Beat Supplement. We've had World Beat for many years. It is fantastic. 16 very colorful pages filled with top news items of the year, sports items from entertainment, culture, trends, technology, and a whole lot more, all wrapped up in 16 beautiful pages each and every year. We also have our smaller eight-page supplement called Flashbacks. Now, Flashbacks also has memories of the year and all those topics I mentioned. Smaller, usually for a bit of a younger audience or perhaps an audience that wants to make sure they don't have any possible controversial stories. Think maybe, you know, religious uh, schools and things like that. World Beat, of course, more apt perhaps for middle school, definitely high school and a college audience. Both are terrific. Both are colorful, both are stylish, and if you'd like to add these to your book, you don't have to do any work like that, right? All you have to do is let your Jostens representative know what you'd like, talk it over with them, make sure you get the cost down, all that sort of thing. Where in the book do you want to put the supplement? Could be the end, could be somewhere else. And it's all done for you. And then when the book comes out in May or June or August or September for you, whenever that is, you will have a terrific extra item that people will read right away. And then years from now, oh yeah, I remember that news story. I remember that sports team. Or I remember that technology item. I remember that movie. All those great memories come flooding back along with all the memories that you and your staff are putting in about your school and your town. So if you're interested, make sure you have a word with your Jostens representative about either World Beat or flashbacks. Easily added, definitely will add value to your book. Now let's get back to more of our interview with Mike McLean. All right, now let's say, um, okay, the student, you're, uh, I've got my assignment, I've done some prep work, I'm at the event, I'm ready to go, and then I've seen a lot of students really kind of freeze up at that point. They're really not sure, well, what should I do? So Mike, you're at the event, you're ready to go. Now what? What do you do? Some thoughts. Uh, well, I have a secret, and I use this. I used it today when I was shooting my assignment. I use it every day, and the very first thing I do when I walk in and I'm covering an event is I will shoot a wide shot. That means I'll stand in the back of the room, 
and I will, for photographing, like, let's say, a volleyball tournament, I will go up to the top of the volleyball stairs where the arena is, and I will photograph a wide shot, and then I come into an event, and oftentimes the reason I shoot a wide shot is not necessarily that I want to use that, although many times that wide shot, or in the world of photojournalism, we call that our opener shot or an intro shot, that shot gets used, but what it does is it sort of gets me into the character or the mindset of shooting photos. Then I'll go to a medium shot. So that will be three or four people. And if it's a before an event, and by the way, another tip for photographers that are photographing these events is that I always tell people the good photographers arrive early and stay late. So I'll get there as the basketball team is warming up. And I'll shoot a wide shot of the arena with everybody there. And the thing that that does is it acclimates people to the fact that I want to be shooting photos. And also, too, it gives us an, an, another opportunity for coverage. Maybe that dominant, you know, that wide shot is not used, but sometimes it can be used. And it's a different perspective to show how many people are in the stands, particularly if it's a really big, important game and the stands are just filled with people. So the, that's the first thing I do is get my wide shot, and then I go in and I'll find a medium shot. And a medium shot is, you know, two or three players, you know, kind of conversing, or maybe it's a sideline shot of the people, you know, talking on the bench or, you know, something like that. It just gets me started, and it kind of gets me in the mindset of covering an assignment like that. So all of these strategies are important to what we do as visual communicators. In my years of working with kids, when they go to cover an event, so many kids go to something, and they literally take a handful of photos. Now, when you go to an event, is there like an idea or a number or a plan? I need to take this many pictures. How many do you take? Well, it varies for me. Um, so like today's assignment, you know, for me, I, I might have shot maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 images. But what I tell my students, and this is something that I learned, again, as a high school kid, is that we were required... At, when we were covering anything, if we were just doing a headshot or we were covering an event, my high school journalism teacher required us to get a wide shot, a medium shot, and a close-up shot. And she would say, she would require us, even if it was a shot that was completely ridiculous, we, would shoot, we were required to get a wide shot. And she said, if you want extra credit, get verticals and horizontals. So we would get verticals and horizontals, and that really helped with the as we were developing the content or the design so that we had a, a, a huge amount of images, what I generally tell students to do is to shoot photos until you know you have a moment. So that means that avoid scatter shooting. So that means that photographers, if you see something interesting that's unfolding before your camera, try to grab that shot. And if you miss it, never set it up. The best thing to do is to wait or that expression to come back because you know we're all creatures of habit and if you wait long enough then you're going to get an expression that will bring back to bring bring that image back for you so it's like that's that's one of the essential things I tell my students to do is your wide your mediums your close-ups and be patient good photographers are patient that means sometimes it takes 15 shots and sometimes it takes 100 shots but ultimately, the most important thing is to, to be on the hunt for moments. And moments are those things that evolve slowly. Now, I wanted to ask about maybe um, common 
mistakes or errors that young photographers, teenagers, and so on make. And I know that you have three simple rules that you tell to your students and so on. Do these three simple rules, and you're going to be taking better pictures right off the bat. What are the three simple rules? Well, the three simple rules, I'm glad you asked about that, because I, that was uh, when I was just out of college, I was teaching a series of workshops, and I was working with these amazing photojournalists, and uh, one of the guys I was teaching with was a guy named James Kinney, um, who is now the photojournalism chair at Western Kentucky University. And James and I got our heads together, and we said, we're working with these college kids. What are three simple rules that sort of encompass all of the, uh, you know, the, all of the compositional elements that we look for in winning photos? So that's where the whole concept of the three simple rules came, you know, came to be. So the number one rule is to fill the frame. That means that you, as you look through the viewfinder, that viewfinder is your canvas. And that means that get as close to your subject matter as you possibly can. And if something is, you know, not part of the story, then move in closer. And that's one of the hardest things. It sounds really simple, but very often students will, will not see as the camera sees. So what we try to do is get our students to look through the viewfinder and see as the camera sees so that they're using that full digital frame to convey a story. So that's the rule number one, fill the frame. And rule number two is control your backgrounds. So that means that if a background is not essential to the message of your photograph, then you change that background. And there are a couple of ways to change the background. The first and easy, easiest thing to do is to change your angle. So sometimes that means a low angle. Sometimes it means a high angle. So changing those angles can have a great impact on the way you're shooting those images. And the next thing for those advanced photographers that they can do to clean up that background is they can use a shallow depth of field. So using a shallow depth of field relates to using your aperture. And if you're using an aperture of like 2.8, that can really throw a messy, distracting background out of focus. So that, those are two things that we can do to kind of change up our background. The easiest thing to do is to move. Now, uh, one thing I want to say before we talk about the third rule is that these all three rules really apply to any photographer, whether you're using a DSLR camera or whether you're using, uh, you know, a, a, a cell phone. So these are compositional rules that really help uh, with the messaging of your photos. And they're very simple to do. So the third simple rule of composition is to look for great moments. And that's really what's at the core of photojournalism. So being a good uh, photojournalist means that you're aware of those good moments because that really those moments are essentially what separate photojournalists from just your regular photographer. So there's a, you know, kind of a famous photographer and we call him the father of photojournalism. He's a guy named Henry Cartier-Bressance and he coined the phrase, the decisive moment. And he said the decisive moment is when all the key storytelling elements come together in a split second. And that's what we want. Now to get that moment, it means that we have to be patient. To get that moment means that we can't be scatter shooters. And this is one thing I see a lot of young photographers doing is they're scatter shooting. So they'll shoot a photo over here, they'll shoot a photo over here, and there'll be no, uh, there'll be no connection at all. When you find something that's interesting, stick with that 
shoot lots of photos. Don't just shoot one or two photos. If you think you have a, a nice image, don't just shoot one or two photos. Shoot several images, and then once you go back and start looking at your files, you realize, wow, somewhere in this mix of images, I got a great moment. So that's really at the heart of what a good photojournalist is, is we're looking for those moments. All right, let's switch gears here a little bit, because uh, I'm certain that we probably either have some young or some rookie advisors checking us out here, listening in. So now we're an adult, and we're directing kids to do things. Some A thought or two on the advisor perspective, how do we get our kids to go out and take better photos to improve our yearbook? Well, one of the things I try to do with my advisors that I'm working with is that I will uh, tell my advisors that we start looking, evaluating students' work, and we start seeing little glimpses of potential in even the worst image. So that means that you're looking at a series of images. Maybe a kid's gone out for the first time and they're using their camera on a program mode, but you find one element within that photograph that's really cool, and then you really celebrate that. So motivating photographers it happens in one step at a time. So finding photographers that are out there shooting even one good photograph, maybe they shot 50 photographs, but you find something redeeming about one photograph, really celebrate that one photograph. And then once you get other people involved in the program, sometimes uh, one of the tricks that I encourage my advisors to do is to do a monthly competition and get photographers working against each other to shoot photos that are, um, you know, that can be celebrated. And one of the things that I did as a high school kid, I was a photo editor in my yearbook as well, was that we brought in local professionals that judged our photo contest once a month. And that helped build sort of a community alliance. So we had a small town newspaper and we would bring that photographer in and we had a commercial photographer and we would set our, you know, 25 or 30 best photographs. Out of those 25 or 30 best photographs, we would select probably 10 uh, uh, images that were going to be featured in the wall display out in front of the journalism room. And that really helped motivate photographers to, you know, bring their A-game to the assignments that they're shooting. So it's, it's several things. It's encouraging photographers to, you know, to utilize, you know, the, the compositional elements that we've talked about. But it's also, too, one of the other things that we did was that we really explored other uh, photographers' work from National Geographic, from Sports Illustrated. My journalism teacher encouraged us to, to develop a clipboard, you know, or a clipbook in those days before we had the Internet, to a, a clipbook that would have some of the best images that we had found illustrated, you know, the importance, you know, of, you know, the three simple rules or the other compositional elements, which we, you know, we don't have time to talk about today, but that, those are all elements that go to building motivation for photographers, for young people that are working on their yearbook. We'll get back to our final segment of our interview with photographer Mike McLean in just a moment. Well, it's September. That means everybody's rolling in school. Hopefully you're getting already some work done, some prep work done, some picture work done, and so on. And at some point down the line, it's going to be deadline time. Now, depending on what kind of book you have, if it's a small book, if it's a really large book, 
Maybe you have one page deadline, two, three, four, five, and so on. But either way, that first deadline is going to be coming up at some point. And of course, if you think about the regular classes in your school, hitting deadlines is pretty darn important. Here's a story. Uh, over the summer, my family and I took a vacation to Florida, and of course, we made a stop at Disney World, one of my favorite places to go. One day, we're walking through a park, and there were large walls up as they were doing some construction on a new part of the park. And every so often, there would be these signs hanging on the walls with quotes from Walt Disney, very famous man, a genius, unbelievable guy, very thought-provoking quotes. And I came across one it was only three words, and the three words were, everybody needs deadlines. The quote from Walt Disney. Now, I figure he would know. Yes, he would. So your deadlines at some point are going to be coming up, and of course, the important thing is to hit them. At Justin's, we guarantee we're absolutely going to have your book to you on time if you hit all your deadlines. There will be no doubt about it. But some folks, well, they kind of struggle with that. Let's see if we can make it a goal this year. Nail those deadlines. And you know what? It all starts now here in September with your planning and organizing. Work your page ladder. Figure out what you're going to have in the book. Figure out who's doing what. But along with that, figure out what pages are coming in when. For instance, fall sports, depending on where you are in the country, they may be done in October, they may be done in November. Let's not wait till January to finish those pages when perhaps after weeks of uh, non-action, you might start forgetting stuff. As the old line goes, let's strike when the iron is hot. When the season's over, let's get those pages completed right away. And then perhaps at that point, you might actually turn them in right away. Maybe you don't even have to wait for a first deadline. The deadlines are important not only for the other classes in your school, but for our yearbooking work as well to make sure that everything keeps moving smoothly. Hey, if you need some help, don't be a stranger to your Jostens representative. Let them know what's going on. Perhaps they can offer you some extra assistance. And now let's get back to our final segment of our interview with photographer Mike McLean. All right, let's talk about technology just briefly, because it's really amazing how some things have changed over the last 10 to 20 years. Every now and then I'll encounter a kid, I'll mention the word film, and I get this look like, what? <laughs> just a total, what? Film, yes, it's how we used to take pictures. Thank you very much. Um, and I'll be honest, Mike, I know the basics of photography, but I haven't invested you know, thousands of dollars in really good equipment and so on. I'm seeing more and more of these mirrorless cameras. And I'm wondering, from your perspective as a professional, you've used SLRs for years. Some of this new technology coming out, first of all, what is it? And right now, maybe, would it be worth a yearbook staff maybe investing in, in some of this type of stuff? Well, what I always tell people to do is that the mirrorless cameras are, you know, there's a lot of advantages to the mirrorless cameras. Um, I, um, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the, or the new line of Nikons that were just, just introduced. I really like the mirrorless cameras. They're a lot lighter. They're a lot easier to use. But they're still at a very, um, you know, at a high price point. Uh, for my advisors, what I always tell my advisors to do um, when they're, you know, working with the photo program is get your basic entry level DSLR. And that DSLR could be a $500 camera from Target or Walmart, 
doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the brand if you're using Canon or Nikon. If you're if you've always used Canon and you have Canon at your school, then stick with Canon. If you've always used Nikon at your school, then I encourage my teachers to stick with Nikon because you know it's like Ford and Chevy. Both are you know they both do a really good job, and I really want the attention to be off specific gear and back to the fundamentals of capturing good images. So that means that a good entry level camera and really the benefit of photography and what we do, the trick that you don't get from the manufacturers is that an entry-level camera will get you started on shooting really good images. The next thing that's most important is to realize it's all about lenses. And when I say lenses, that means that I encourage everybody out there that's listening to this, you know, this conversation is that it starts off with the very basic lens is invest in a 50 millimeter lens. We call that a nifty 50. It's a 50 millimeter 1.8 lens you can get them for your camera for about 120 bucks and they're really amazing because they have that aperture opening of 1.8 and that 1.8 aperture is going to allow you to work in really low light conditions which is a great benefit that 1.8 aperture that 50 millimeter lens will allow you to work in a gym you know photographing basketball for, for particularly for those schools that have low light It'll allow you to get great basketball photographs. It'll allow you to go into a, you know, a dark room and get great images because that aperture is so wide open and it lets in so much light. So that's a good starting place. And then from there, you build on your lenses. And I always tell my advisors that are in my classes is that think of the lenses as an investment. So I have a lens that I've had uh, since uh, the 90s. I actually bought it in the mid-90s, and I still use it back before the invention of digital images, and I still use it on my digital cameras. So investing in your lenses, your bodies will change. Maybe you'll get an upgraded body, and you know, maybe you, get, you, know, you have some additional money in your budget, and you can get a higher-grade body. But starting with that entry-level camera is the best place to go. The other thing I tell all of my schools is for sports, is to invest in that 70 to 200 millimeter lens, or it's an 80 to 200 millimeter lens. That's a 2.8 lens, and it's a little bit more expensive. You don't. The the great thing about these lenses is that you don't have to buy a name brand. Oftentimes, you can find a great deal on an off-brand lens, like a Tamron or a Takino or a Sigma lens. Those are all off-brand lenses, which offer about a 50% price savings. So. That's another way that we can start saving money. And that is traditionally a sports lens because it's an 80 to 200, but we can use it for so many things. We can use it for theater you know, coverage. We can use it covering basketball inside the gym. It has so much versatility to it. So that's one of the things I would recommend uh, to advisors that may be listening to this is that start off with that Nifty 50 and the kit lenses that come with your camera, which are the kit lenses are the 17 to 55 lenses, those lenses are perfect. The problem with those lenses is that when you zoom all the way into 55, it happens almost without realizing it. That lens becomes a 5.6 lens. So it's almost not usable indoors. So that's one of the hitches with getting the kit lens, that 17 to 55 millimeter lens, is that it's really limited to outdoor situations or really bright situations. You can't really send a kid to a basketball gym with that kit lens and a 
you know, your basic DSLR and hope that they're going to bring back good basketball images because they won't. You will with that 50 millimeter lens, that 50 millimeter 1.8 lens. Okay. Now, phones. Virtually everybody has a smartphone in their pocket now, and they all take pictures. As far as our yearbook photojournalism work is concerned, Mike, will a phone do what we need it to do? Yes, I think that a phone, the phones are, you know, I, it, it's crazy. I never really thought that we'd be using phones as much as we are, but we really are. And the quality of phones continues to, to you know, to rise. Um, it amazes me to just, you know, I have an older, you know, version iPhone and it gets great images. So the thing I always tell when you're, tell my students when you're using those phones is the most important thing to keep in mind is composition really does matter. So that's important. Understanding those three simple rules will really even up your quality using your iPhone, and it'll up the quality using a DSLR too. But using those phones, you got to pay attention to light. You got to have good light. You got to pay attention to your composition. You got to pay attention to framing. And one of the things that's the hardest thing for kids to understand is that you got to hold that camera steady. Just holding that camera steady with both hands and making sure that camera is secure and that you're a good platform for for holding that camera, that's really going to enable you to get good photographs with that iPhone. Now, a couple of things about using, and I say iPhone, but I mean any, you know, cell phone, a couple of things is if don't don't use that flash because the flash on cameras, at least now, um, is not really good. So any flash, even if a DSLR pop-up flash, is good for about four to eight feet and beyond that that flash is almost useless so the same is true so with your cell phones except it might be a foot or two so by and large I tell people not to use the flash on their you know on their cell phones look for good light and that good light can really help you um, with shooting good photographs so it's important to realize that um, you know, those, those elements when you're using your cell phone. But I, I think I'm using my cell phone more and more. Uh, I see there's uh, one of my mentors is a famous photographer who um, lives in Santa Monica. He's a former White House photographer, and he uses his cell phone. Like for the last three years, he's been using his cell phone, and he's been, like, posting amazing photographs on Instagram and just getting, you know, beautiful images. And all he uses is his cell phone. So there are some advantages to using a cell phone, but... And by and large, if you're shooting sports, you're going to be really disappointed with that cell phone. So I've included some other tips that I sent you in a, from a presentation, and hopefully you'll be able to use some of those, those tips. All right. Mike, we've been talking for half an hour, and this has been great. I've learned a few things along the lines here. To wrap up, um, for those students or for those advisors listening out there, just some quick words of advice, getting out there and getting really good photos to put in the yearbook. What would you say? Words of advice is that, um, that what we said earlier was arrive early and stay late. And the, the other thing is, as photojournalists, we have to move in close. And that means that we have to be prepared to, uh, to move out of our own comfort zone. So that's one of the things I tell people to do is that uh, I just was working with a school in Northern California with uh, Sarah Nichols. And we actually took some kids out on the football field to cover the coin toss because they had never been shot. That's what photojournalists do. That's our job is to, to provide coverage 
that the rest of the student body can't get, right? So we went on to the football, um, football game with the officials. We got permission previous to the game, and we talked to the officials, and we talked to the athletic director, and everybody was really, you know, totally okay with us being on the field. When I went out on the field with a student, I noticed I was walking out onto the field, and I noticed that students were hanging back, and I kind of actually had to gently push them to get them on the field because they're very self-conscious. So the very first thing is just get to a place where you can break your comfort zone down and move close because that's really where the good photographs are going to be. That's what, that's what good photojournalists do. And then the other one is that always be aware of what's happening around you. Be very observant of your environment and don't be afraid to stay in one place to get good shots. It doesn't, good photojournalists are not the people that are walking around taking photographs in one place here, taking place photos over here. Find interesting people or interesting things that are happening in the crowd and shoot those. Those would be my tips. Well, we hope you got some great ideas and tips from our friend, photojournalist, and veteran photographer, Mike McLean. He had a boatload of great ideas and tips that you can start incorporating with your staff right away. So let's see if we can do that. One of our goals this year, better pictures, storytelling pictures, pictures that will grab our readers' attention and keep them wanting more page after page after page. So we hope you got a lot of great information out of this month's interview. And we thank you again for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast. 